Well, yes, uh, my name is Andreas, and uh, if, if you're new here, you may not know who I am. Uh, you may know me because I'm Elias' dad and uh, Hendrika's husband, and uh, it's just so good to be with you. Um, over the past few months, I've been working for uh, the Navigators of Canada in their national uh, campus leadership team. And one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is what does it mean uh, to share the good news of Jesus with young adults? What does it mean not just to share, but equip uh, young adults to live for Jesus and with him? And what does it mean for those who don't know Jesus? How will they get to know Jesus? And in my desire to engage in this topic, uh, one of the uh, things I've been doing is I've been listening to this podcast by uh, pastor and author Tim Keller and others uh, titled How to Reach the West Again. And uh, in that podcast, uh, Keller makes the argument that there's four essential elements of reaching the West again and reaching specifically this new generation of young adults. And one of those essential elements is demonstration. He makes the argument that today's generation is much less concerned with answers about God, with big questions, the previous generations were, with answers about God, and much more concerned with how the church treats those inside the church and outside the church, whether that's women, indigenous people, etc. For many, demonstration, how we treat each other and how we treat those outside the church, is much more ex- important than explanation. You know, this is exactly what uh, Ken shared last week, Pastor Ken, who's on vacation today. Uh, what he shared, uh, when he started this series, he shared the prayer of Jesus uh, in John 17, where Jesus prayed for believers, all believers, for every generation. And he prayed that we would be united and that we'd love each other. And by this, all people will know that Jesus is from God and that God loves them by your unity and by our love. Demonstration matters. What type of demonstration? Our unity and our love. It's so important, not only for us to be a light to the next generation, but if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to do this well. And so I'm so glad that we're in this series. I'm so glad that we're looking at what it looks like to keep the unity. And I'm excited to dig into that more this morning. This morning, I want to specifically talk about how our convictions can be led by love. We were introduced to different uh, beliefs and convictions and core values last, last week. But I want to talk about convictions, the things that we hold to. How do we express them with another? How do we demonstrate God's love? for one another when we have different convictions about things. How do we do that with one another? And how do we do that then going outside of these walls? How do we share our convictions in love? And and to do that, I'm going to place us uh, amidst some of the early Jesus followers in a church in Rome 2,000 years ago. And these Jesus followers were having... Uh, contentious arguments about a few things. Now, these things may seem odd to us, but in some ways they're very similar to the arguments we have within the church today. Uh, This church was made up of people from diverse ethnic, uh, cultural, and religious backgrounds. And, And these people held very strong personal convictions about things. 
And these convictions were not core aspects of following Jesus, but nevertheless, they mattered a lot. So on one hand, you had uh, people from a Jewish background, and they believed that because what was written in the Bible, they believed that it was, two things were really important. One, it was important to have a certain diet. There were certain uh, diets and foods that were uh, forbidden to eat in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. And, and so they said, if we're going to follow Jesus well, we need to have this specific diet. They also believed that if they were going to follow Jesus well, that they need to keep one day completely holy and not do any work on it, the Sabbath. Um, so they believed that they'd have to have tough restrictions on diet and on resting. And although it may look a little bit different today, I know many of us have a practice we, we have observances where we have restrictions around things like diet or unrest, and they help us with each other, and they help us in our faith. On the other hand, there's another group of people that said, no, 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 you don't have to have these restrictions on diet or these restrictions on days of rest. We're completely free in Christ. We can eat what we want, and we can decide to rest when we want. And so there was this contentious argument in this church. On one hand, they said, the way we follow Jesus well, the way we show our allegiance to God is by practicing these strict rules. On the other side, they said, no, there's freedom in this. We don't have to all do it that way. And I'm struck by, um, I'm struck by how similar that is today. We have people who, for good reasons, have strict disciplines, and that helps them in their walk with God. Now, there's others who practice a little bit more freedom in their disciplines, and they would say that helps them in their walk from God. And what happens, sadly, is that sometimes a person over here will judge that person over there for being too loose, and a person over here will judge that person over there by being too strict. And there's judgment, and there's also quarreling. And so people have argued about these things for 2,000 years. It's not new. So I'd like us to listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say to this community back then, and specifically, what does God have to say to our community today? I'm going to invite my friend Peter up. He's going to be reading chunks of this passage. He's going to read it from the message translation. Later, I'll be looking at some specific verses in NIV, but he's going to be reading it from the message because I think this gives a, a picture into what the Apostle Paul may be saying to us if he were here today. And so he's going to first read the first five verses, then we're going to pause, and then he's going to read some more. Uh, but as he reads, I want you just to receive these words as if they're spoken to you today. Um, so go ahead, Peter, and kick us off with verses one to five. Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do, and don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with, even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who has been around for a while might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with a different background might assume that he should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. 
Or, say, one person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy, and another thinks that each day is pretty much like any other. There are good reasons either way. So each person is free to follow the convictions of conscience. Thank you, Peter. Um, I'd like you either to, to turn to someone uh, you're comfortable with, or you can just reflect on your own. And I'd like you to ask you two questions. What are some disputable matters, things that people disagree about that aren't core aspects of the Christian faith today? And then the second, if you're comfortable, you can share this or you can just reflect on this on your own. What are some of the ways you or some of the people you're quick to not welcome on the table because of their differing convictions than your own? So, so what are some of the people that have different convictions than your own that your own not as quick to welcome in to the table? You can reflect on this your own. If you're comfortable, you can share with someone uh, you know. Uh, and then what are some of the disputable matters uh, today? So feel free to share or just uh, br- uh, consider it on your own. I'll give you a couple minutes to do so. All right, I'm going to bring it back together, everyone. Uh, thank you for um, sharing with each other or engaging with this on your own. Um, this is going to be a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> and that's okay, because we want to really be people who dive in the discomfort but do so in love. Uh, Peter, I'm going to have you come back up and uh, keep reading. He's going to jump to verse 13 and read to the end from the message. Forget about deciding what's right for each other. Here's what you need to be concerned about, that, if, that you don't get in the way of someone else, making life more difficult than it already is. I'm convinced, Jesus convinced me, that everything as it is in itself is holy. We, of course, by the way we treat it or talk about it, can contaminate it. If you confuse others by making a big issue over what they eat or don't eat, you're no longer a companion with them in love, are you? These, remember, are persons for whom Christ died. Would you risk sending them to hell over an item in their diet? Don't you dare let a piece of God-blessed food become an occasion of soul poisoning. God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach, for goodness sake. It's what God does with your life as he sets it right, puts it together, and completes it with joy. Your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. Do that, and you'll kill two birds with one stone, pleasing the God above you and proving your worth to the people around you. So let's agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other. Help others with encouraging words. Don't drag them down by finding fault. You're certainly not going to permit an argument over what is served or not served at supper to wreck God's work among you, are you? I said it before, and I'll say it again. All food is good, but it can turn bad if you use it badly, if you use it to trip others up and send them sprawling. When you sit down to a meal, your primary concern should not be to feed your own face, but to share the life of Jesus. So be sensitive and courteous to the others who are eating. Don't eat or do or say things that might interfere with the free exchange of love. Cultivate your own relationship with God, but don't impose it on others. You're fortunate if your behavior and your belief are coherent, but if you're not sure, if you notice that you are acting in ways inconsistent with what you believe, 
some days trying to impose your opinions on others, other days just trying to please them, then you know that you're out of line. If the way you live isn't consistent with what you believe, then it's wrong. Thanks, Peter. Oh man, there's so much there, we could spend weeks on this. Uh, I think for this morning, though, we're just, I'm just going to highlight a few passages. Um, if, though, after this, you want to engage more, I, I suggest you spend some time in, in this chat, Romans 14. What does that mean? What is God saying to you? What does it look like to live out these principles? And I'm thankful for how Eugene Peterson in the message translates it. It really helps us. Well, I'm going to look at uh, just a few verses this morning. I'm going to look at them from the NIV because they give a little bit of a different picture than what we just heard. Um, I'm going to start with verse 1. Liam, if you could put that up. Thank you, Liam, for doing the slides. So uh, Paul starts by saying, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Okay, so what is Paul meaning here about someone who's weak in faith? Well, I think he's just saying someone is weak in faith when they are someone who believe that some, whose convictions believe that something is wrong, but it's actually not wrong for everyone. Uh, the message puts it, someone who's strong convictions but weak in the faith department. And what I find interesting about this is that Paul doesn't actually criticize those who are weak in the faith. Instead, he says, for those who are strong in the faith, and is anyone really strong in the faith? It's kind of ridiculous. But for those who see themselves as strong in the faith, who have all this freedom and know how to live in Jesus, they say to accept those who are weak in the faith. Paul is led by love and call those who have a wider view, those standing over a wider view of the freedom and love to say, let me accept you who have strong convictions that are different than my own. And the whole point here is not about the differing convictions. It doesn't matter where you stand on either side of some of these issues. What matters is the quarreling. What matters is that they are fighting with one another. They're judging one another. He's saying we all have convictions, but what's much more important is love and unity. Well, let's keep reading. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. I love the phrases here. Judge not. Be not of contempt. No matter where our conviction lies, let us not be people who see others with other convictions as less than, lower than, as people who deserve less acceptance in the kingdom of God. Because if God has accepted them, why wouldn't we? If God has accepted them, why wouldn't we? Let's keep reading. I'm going to just jump three more verses. Verses 15, 20, and 21. Verse 15. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. I find it so interesting how this, this passage moves from 
You know, we've heard lots of sermons. Uh, don't judge people. Don't treat them with contempt. Uh, love them. Have the unity. What I find interesting about this passage is it takes it one step forward. It actually says, okay, if I'm someone who believes I can eat anything, and I'm with someone over there who believes that certain, uh, certain foods are off limits when following Jesus, it doesn't say this person who thinks certain foods are off limits needs to compromise. No, it says you over here who thinks that any food is being able to eat, when you're with them, you can eat whatever you want when you're by yourself, but when you're with them, I want you to restrict your own diet for the sake of their convictions. Christian love, or let's say it better, love that Jesus teaches us is not just let's agree to compromise, let's agree to disagree. It's saying, when I'm in your, with you, I will actually sacrifice my freedom, my own freedom, for your convictions. I will sacrifice my freedom for your convictions. He says this so clearly in verse 20 and 21. I'll leave if you put those up. Do not destroy. It's up. Thank you. <laughs> Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Unity and love are so important that if we love someone, we will sacrifice our freedom for their convictions. I mean, a good example of this is, is alcohol. If we're around people who have a conviction not to drink alcohol and we ourselves feel free to do so, we're free to do so by ourselves, but when we're with them, are we willing to sacrifice our freedom for their convictions? Another example that's true in my life is, is, is food. Um, Hendrika, when I met Hendrika, uh, as some of you know, she has a dairy allergy and she's a vegetarian. And when we got married, I didn't say, okay, let's compromise on this vegetarian thing. Let's have meat three days and vegetarian diet three days. No, I said, because I love you and because your convictions around not eating meat, I value those and I respect those. At home, we will eat vegetarian. We take the step in to honor other people's convictions. And even now, she's playing around with possibly eating chicken occasionally. <laughs> it's not because I try to convince her to eat chicken. That would be going against this principle. It's because she herself is thinking through some of those ethics and whatnot. And so it's, it's do we take a step in and honor other people's convictions with food or diet or other things? Uh, another example is praying before a meal. My parents aren't here. I hope they don't see this. <laughs> but they pray before every meal. I don't. Maybe you'll judge me for that. I caution you to judge me for that. <laughs> but I honor that when I'm with them. <laughs> And so how do we take steps on people's convictions and honor their convictions? Because we love them. Because we love them. Uh, you know, I want to close with circling back not just how we treat each other and love each other within the Christian community, but how we love those outside. And, and recently I was listening to another podcast, as you can tell I like podcasts, and this is uh, from a professor from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, Professor Karen Swallow Pryor, and, and she had a statement in this podcast that really struck me. It's up here already. She says this, 
Scripture commands us to speak truth in love. Jesus says that the world will know us by our love for one another. And so any position that we're communicating or trying to defend, if it's not done in a way that love is evident to other people, not just what we say in our heart, oh, I'm doing this out of love, then we aren't doing it right. We're disobeying Scripture. Let me say that again. If any position that we hold that is not done in a way that the love is evident to other people, then we're not doing it right. I find this really hit me when I heard it. You know, often we share our convictions and we share them because of our intent of love. But if they don't receive it in love, is it really practicing the principle of, of the world knowing us by our love? If I share a conviction to someone and my intent is to, to share love and my heart's good, but they receive it in a way that shuns us and, doesn't re- and don't receive with any love, they're actually moving away from Jesus, not towards him. They're moving away from him, not towards them. I know it's a little bit controversial, but I'd like to put it out there. It, when we share truth in love, it's not just sharing it with the intent of love. It's sharing it so that they receive love. As I've read through Jesus, specifically as he, when he addresses the religious people, that's a different story, but when he addresses those outside the religious faith, I see people who not only receive Jesus' conviction, and he does share that, but they receive his love. They receive his conviction in love. We often talk about truth and love. I wonder if it should be more like truth in love. You know, I had to learn this in my early 20s. I was someone who had a lot of convictions about a lot of things. And I'd be very quick to share what I think about certain issues or what I think about certain behaviors in my friend groups. But I had a moment where a friend came to me very kindly and said, you know, um, there's some people in our friend group who just feel like you judge them all the time. And I was like, really? In my heart, I knew I wasn't judging them. I mean, maybe a little bit, but for the most part, <laughs> for the most part, I was trying just to share my conviction. I'm sure I was judging them a little bit, but for the most part, I was trying just to share my conviction. But why this was so helpful was even if I was sharing my conviction out of a good place, if they just received judgment, it wasn't drawing them closer to Jesus. It was pushing them away. If what they heard in my conviction was judgment, it was pushing them away from Jesus. And so I had to rethink, okay, if my intent is love, how do I still share my convictions? But how do I do those with love? That's a hard thing. I'm not going to have all the answers for that this morning. But I want to encourage us to think through how we don't just share truth and love, how we share truth in love. So I want to leave you with some questions. Are we judging or arguing with people over, over things that don't matter as much, even though God's accepted them? Are we people who are willing to, to limit our own freedoms and our convictions for the sake of their convictions? And are we people committed to sharing truth in love, no matter what it takes, so that the world may know that God sent Jesus and that God loves them? that the world may know. Let me pray.